Welcome to You, Me and, the nostalgic football podcast from Football Whispers, which each week takes a hero of the 90s and remembers their career with a warm, fuzzy glow. This week, I'm joined by my colleague at Football Whispers, Will Evans, who you may recognise from Conference Call, another of our podcasts, shining a light on the Vanarama National League. You can find that on virtually every other podcast provider. Will, how are you? I'm very well. I'm looking forward to reminiscing about some 90s football today. Superb. Looking forward to it as well. So who are we discussing this week? That's the big question. Well, after remembering one of the diminutive geniuses of the early Premier League era in Gianfranco Zola last week, check that episode out if you haven't already. This time we're looking at another pint-sized magician. It's Middlesbrough legend Janino Paulista, who across three spells is an absolute icon for Borough. Will, when I say that name... What's your overriding impression of the player so fondly remembered as the little fella by Middlesbrough supporters? I mean, I remember him as a midfielder that just had absolutely everything. He could see a pass where no one else could and he could usually execute it as well. Fantastic close control, a great ability to burst past his man in the centre of the pitch and he could he could finish as well, scored some, scored some lovely goals. But I think he's as much about what he stood for at the time in the 90s in terms of being the first or one of the first really iconic foreign players that brought a style of football to the Premier League that perhaps we hadn't seen before. Yeah, I think absolutely right there. He's uh, It's what he symbolises in the, the kind of pioneering role he played in the Premier League's formative years. And we'll come on to discuss that in great detail. The first part of the show then, we're going to talk about his early years in Brazil. He was born in Sao Paulo and started his career with Ituano before joining Sao Paulo in 95. He did so after playing in a match against them and, and scoring in an unlikely victory and that got the attention of the legendary Telly Santana who was then the Sao Paulo coach and he did quite well at uh, Sao Paulo. He was named Rookie of the Year and became an important member of that side. Now, obviously we're talking now in 2020 and you know you can see clips from any game on any any part of the world on Twitter and social media in a matter of moments after they've happened. Not so in the early 90s, Will. It wasn't, Brazilian football wasn't available on British TV legally or illegally on the internet even, I should imagine. What was the perception of South Americans and, and Brazilians particularly at that at that time? They're almost viewed as a, a different mythical species, weren't they? Yeah, I think we, we saw them all as, as flair players, really. And I think the reason for that's probably twofold. The first one is that, as you say, the only time we ever really saw these Brazilians playing was usually during the World Cup on TV. And so we were seeing the best of the best and we were probably comparing that to the players that we saw every week in the English leagues and just thinking they were you know, something else. Whereas in reality, they were just the, the, you know, the ultimate players from Brazil, I suppose. But at the same time, I think there was an element of of truth in that in that reputation at the time brazil was kind of the, the style of football they were playing there probably was more flair to it now you look at the brazilian league and actually it's kind of stepped in line with europe in terms of being pretty organized and structured but i think you did get that those street footballers who were all about the tricks and the skills back then more so than you do now yeah absolutely it would have made for sensational highlight reels at, at youtube and, and social media being around then um, how did Janino fit that kind of billing then, that sort of stereotype of Samba flair? What sort of player was he? It's interesting because when you think of those players kind of playing on the streets, the favelas, I suppose, in, the, in their youth, Janino wasn't really like that. I believe he was from a pretty middle-class background, so he didn't kind of 
have that same football upbringing. But at the same time, within his his local area, he was known as a player that was expected to go on to big things, I suppose. And because of his his small size, he was all about the the ball skills rather than the physicality. So he did have that that in his locker, the the close control, the the good skills. He, he, I would say, broadly speaking, he did fit into our impression of a Brazilian footballer at the time. So by this point, Janino is very much making waves in Sao Paulo. He'd won the Copa Libertadores in 93, the Super Copa Libertadores the same year, and the Intercontinental Cup in 93 as well. He won the Recopa Sudamericana in 93 and 94, which I'm embarrassed to say there was a bit of a knowledge gap there for me and I had to look up what that was. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but that was a match-up between the champions of the previous year's Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana he also won the Copa Conmebol in 94, and that was a competition, again, I knew nothing of, but it finished in 1999 after a seven-year run and was the South American equivalent of the UEFA Cup at the time. He said at the time, around that time, he had to grow stronger and improve my football. Now, we talked about his size already. Was the fact that he was only 5'5 five five a help or a hindrance uh, to, to his kind of development as a footballer and the, the sort of player that he became, do you think? His size was a bit of a problem in his early years because he went on trial at a couple of clubs in Brazil where he didn't get accepted because of his small frame at Corinthians and at Club Atletico Juventus. But then eventually he was taken on by Chuano, his more local side, and kind of had to work his way up. So at the beginning, it was an issue. But later on in his career, certainly by the time he came to Middlesbrough, he developed quite good core strength, I think. And for a man that was really quite small he actually had a good ability to keep hold of the ball and shrug off opposition players but I think that small size did allow him to have quite a good low center of gravity and turn his man quickly beat his man so broadly speaking by the time he reached the Middlesbrough stage in his career I don't think there are any issues with the money being five for five we talk about uh, you know British football at that time premiership football at that time being very physical very direct you know the the battle being as much part of it as technical skill and tactics and what have you and maybe other leagues are, are a feeling is that they aren't you know as well versed in the physicality and the dark arts and what have you but Brazilian football and South American football it's pretty ferocious as well isn't it so how much of a bearing did that help how much of a bearing did that have and how much did that help him do you think kind of adapt prior to his move to, to England in, in 95 yeah I think he probably did have a good place to learn I suppose in that as you say it is quite a quite a frantic intense league and, and there are probably other divisions around the world where it's a little bit more standoffish and you've got more time on the ball but I think there probably are some similarities between domestic football in Brazil and the Premier League and that probably set him in good stead for when he came over to England. He had the opportunity to come to Europe before he did. He impressed for a Brazil select 11 against Milan in 94 and impressed scouts from Europe. However, with big clubs circling, it was actually Middlesbrough who signed him in 1995 and we'll come on to that in a second his first spell at the Riverside, but how much of a coup was it for them to to get a player of his kind of standing and someone who won 15 caps for Brazil at this point, very much a you know part of the Seleção uh, squad by that stage. He you know this this wasn't a, a nobody by any means when when Borough picked him up in '95, was he? No, it was absolutely huge. To be honest with you, it was. I hadn't realised just how much he was at the peak of his powers. You know, he played 15 games. For, played 15 games for Brazil that year, scored five goals. That's the most he ever played for the national team in a calendar year. So he was at the top of his game, even though he was still playing over in South America. 
And I must admit, I, I'd always wondered how he had ended up going to Middlesbrough because it's not the most common path even now, I suppose, for players to come direct from South America to a club like Middlesbrough. It certainly wasn't then. And when I was looking into this story, it was it all kind of stemmed from the national team coming over to England to play in the Umbro Cup, which is like a friendly tournament. And Brazil were the ultimate winners. They beat England 3-1 at Wembley. And in that game, Janinho um, scored really quite a clever little free kick where all the England team thought it was going to be Roberto Carlos who was going to take it. And then Janinho just nipped in and sent it into the left-hand side of the goal. And he set up Ronaldo as well with a perfect through ball for him to score from. And Brian Robson, the player manager at Middlesbrough, was watching this and essentially just thought, I need to have this player. And which, when you think back, it kind of makes sense that that's how a player who really shouldn't have been on Middlesbrough's radar was spotted. And they sent a whole delegation over to South America where apparently Janino wasn't particularly keen at the beginning to come. There was Inter Milan were interested and he was worried that the English style of football might not be suited to his game. But I'm led to believe that Robson was quite a persuasive character and he was the one who managed to finally seal the deal and get Janino to come over. He'll be bloody persuasive to persuade a Brazilian that, you know, the the beaches and what have you, that uh, that Middlesbrough, charming though it is, and I have been, um, you know, is a better better landing spot than Milan. So a hell of a persuasive uh, argument he must have put up. Well, we'll come on to Middlesbrough and everything that the, the kind of legacy that began then in 95 shortly, but we'll just take a very short break. Right, welcome back. You join us in the 95-96 season. This is Middlesbrough's first year back in the Premiership following promotion. So spending almost £5 million on a full Brazilian international who at the time had been courted by far more established and glamorous clubs was a very... Big deal. Will just set the scene for us about Borough and about the Premiership at that point because it was, it's a world away from the kind of global league that it is now. Yeah, Middlesbrough had only just won promotion into the Premier League. They'd won the Division One title the year before. And really, it was the Premier League in in name only, I think, at this stage. I, th- I, I always think that when you look at the early years of the Premier League, there's a kind of there's a cut-off point around 96, 97, 98 when, when it shifts from essentially being the old first division full of English players just dressed up in shinier kits, I suppose, to when you start to get all of these international players join it becomes the show in inverted commas that it is now. And you look at around that time, you had Arsene Wenger coming over and proving the diet. You had the French players that came alongside that, the Italian invasion at Chelsea. And I get the impression that Janino, he was just coming to the Premier League at the beginning of that, which is why he's seen as such a trendsetter. But he, when he came into the division, yeah, it was far from the global competition that we see it as now. Borough are remembered as kind of pioneers and being one of the clubs at the sort of forefront of, um, you know, expanding their horizons and, and recruiting outside of Britain and Ireland. But they'd only just begun at that stage hadn't they they've got Jan Agafjortov but I think he was the only non-British or Irish player at the time Janino signed but that sort of started a trend didn't it yeah Janino's the the first big foreign signing of the Premier League era and then once he comes in and I imagine because he was instantly such a success Steve Gibson the chairman thought to himself well this seems to be working I'm going to go and 
try my luck getting a number of other foreigners in. And over, you know, over the course of the time Janino was there, we saw Emerson come in, Fabrizio Ravinelli, Mikel Beck, Branco, Gianluca Festa. The, the list just goes on and on. And I think Middlesbrough have, until recent years, become really quite synonymous with bringing in big-name foreign players. Later on, we saw Hamilton Rickard come in a couple of years later, and then you move through to the next generation. You've got Budavine Zenden and Gaisika Mineta. And it's, for me anyway, I always see them, despite the location not being very glamorous, I've got a real soft spot for them because they seem like a, a glamour club because of what they did in that era. There's something quite lovable about that Middlesbrough team. We'll come on to some of the reasons, I think... Uh... But to touch on it, you know, we kind of love the gallant loser, the heroic loser in this country. And they, uh, in the 96-97, reached two cup finals and still got relegated in sort of tragicomic circumstances with all these big names, which probably feeds into that a little bit. But let's just rewind very slightly and talk about Janino's initial, the impression he initially makes at Borough. How does it start and, and, and what the Borough fans kind of see for their money when when he lands in this country well they instantly love him i mean he he has a really really good impact in 95 96 when he helps the team to 12th place in the league but it's not until the following season that he really hits form i mean 96 97 is seen as the janino season i suppose um and despite the negative ending that's the season when he becomes a uh, player of the year at the club he wins the player of the year award across the whole premier league as well it's it's a strange kind of synergy between Middlesbrough's failure and his success, I suppose. You mentioned it there, the winning the Player of the Year award. How big a deal is that? Because typically, even then, I think, you know, it was successful teams and, you know, teams in competing for silverware and competing for titles that had the, the Player of the Year in their ranks, not a team that had just, you know come up and gradually was establishing themselves. So that was a real, you know, vindication, wasn't it, for, for how well he'd done. He sticks out like a sore thumb when you when you look through that list. He scored 15 goals in 48 games in all competitions that year, which for a player who wasn't an out-and-out goal scorer, he was much more of a creator, really, even though he chipped in with some, with some stunning strikes. That probably just gives you a hint as to the impact he had. And of course... There were players all around him in 96-97 that were banging in the goals left, right and centre, Fabrizio Ravinelli being the obvious one. And he was, Janini was the man feeding him throughout the season. Yes, absolutely. A real who's who of players in the 90s uh, that were sort of contemporaries of Janino at that point. So that second season then, let's move on to that. He, as I say, they reached the uh, 97 FA Cup and League Cup finals with Janino playing a, a central role. They lose both of those and then they're relegated as well in, as I say, sort of tragicomic circumstances. What Pick up the story for us, Will. What, what happened and, and what was the fallout from that relegation? I think it's a little bit of an Icarus story in terms of Middlesbrough flying a bit too close to the sun because... Even though you remember all these fantastic players like Ravinelli or Janino, actually the core of the squad beneath those wasn't necessarily that strong. It's a little bit harsh perhaps on Phil Stamp. I always think of him as like the player that just sums up. He was like a typical a typical journeyman player who was playing his trade in the lower, lower reaches of the Premier League at the time. And those guys just didn't live up to the super superstars who were the first names on the team sheet in Middlesbrough. So that was especially true at the back where the team were leaking goals left, right and centre. I mean, they let in the most goals in the whole league that year, but 
Then they scored, I think it was 16 times more than Sunderland, who got relegated as well, 20 times more than Nottingham Forest, who finished bottom. So it was a really unbalanced team. And the problem was that you only needed to get a few injuries and suddenly that was that was exposed. And it was exposed in the worst possible way where they ended up having to postpone a game against Blackburn Rovers at 24 hours notice because Middlesbrough said they... They threw a combination of illness, injury, suspension. They just couldn't name a team. They had 23 players out injured. And as you can imagine, this didn't go down particularly well with the Football Association who docked Middlesbrough three points. And those three points were the difference between success and failure because if they'd had three more points, they would have stayed up. And you must just think to yourself, now if you were involved in the club at the time, why didn't we just put out a team of youth players because you could have lost 12-0 or 13-0 and it wouldn't really have mattered um and then the cups as well reaching the you know the FA Cup final and the League Cup final and really playing all of those matches stretch the squad to the limit I think Brian Robson's even spoken about it since how really that was their undoing going for it in both cup competitions um, and they came away from both of those with with no glory either so they really were the the gallant loser, a little bit like Newcastle United in the, the year that they lost out to Manchester United in the Premier League. Everyone remembers them really fondly for the great attacking football they played, but they came away with nothing. And there's there's definitely a parallel to Middlesbrough, a little bit lower down there. I was thinking as you were sat, you're digging Phil Stamp out. It's very sort of the Real Madrid, Zidane, Zipavones, where the, the kind of idea that they were signing Zidane on one hand, but they had these kind of you know, very sort of jobbing workman-like other players to kind of balance out the spending. You've got the, the Janinos and the Phil Stamps. Um, so he's runner-up to Gianfranco Zola in the Football Writers Association Player of the Year Award. He's Boroughs Player of the Year, Premier League Player of the Year. Was this his best season in England, despite, obviously, how it all ended? Very much so. In fact, I don't think... We'll talk about this, I'm sure, later, but when we talk about his spell at Atletico Madrid, but I, I don't think he ever recaptures that form he showed for Middlesbrough in 96-97 at any point throughout his career and I think perhaps despite the three spells at the Riverside that might be one of the reasons why he holds such a special place in Middlesbrough fans hearts because they saw him at the one year when he was better than at any other point in his career yeah absolutely and as you say he goes on to join them two more times which we'll come on to so finally then to round off this section he leaves England to join Atletico Madrid for 13 million pounds obviously a fairly significant sum the idea being that with Borough now in what's what's these days called the championship but was then division one his chances of making the 98 world cup squad aren't great we'll leave it there for this section then we'll be back we'll be jetting over to sunny spain to pick up janino's fortunes in madrid Welcome back. We're in Madrid now. We're at Atletico rather than Real. And Janino has just completed a big money move to that part, the red and white half of the city, I suppose, as it were. He went with the ambition of the aim of getting into the 98 World Cup squad for Brazil, the squad that obviously went on to reach the final, lose to France. But things didn't quite go to plan, did they? No, I mean, as you say, that was the whole reason for his transfer. And it was a big money transfer. £13 million at the time was a, was a lot of money. But during his first season at Atletico, he gets his leg broken by Michel Salgado at Celta Vigo. And that has two 
major impacts. The first one is that it, it sees him miss the vast majority of the campaign. And even though he just about gets back to full fitness before the World Cup, he doesn't get selected, which must have been absolutely gutting, I imagine, having made the move purely for that purpose. But the long-term impact is that he loses something in his game after that leg break and he's never quite the same player again and I think we see that in the fact that he never really breaks through and becomes a regular despite the big transfer fee at Atletico and that leads to a loan spell back at Middlesbrough and a couple of loan spells back in Brazil as well where he's really struggling to recapture the form that made him so great just a couple of years ago years before yeah it's rather sad isn't it that didn't you know miss the World Cup and then things kind of as you say, never quite recaptures what he uh, showed in that first spell at Borough. As you rightly say, comes back to Borough on, on loan. They're back in the Premier League now, 99-2000 season. Scores four times in 24 league appearances. How do we sum up that second spell for Janino at Borough? And how much did it mean to Middlesbrough supporters at the time to you know welcome back such a popular character? His presence at the club in terms of the return was what was significant because he was held in such high esteem and you know it's great to have a feeling that you've got a player in your team who can conjure up a moment of magic and do something which perhaps wasn't the case across a lot of the Middlesbrough squad at the time but in reality his performances during that loan spell didn't live up to his performances the first time and I think the fact that Middlesbrough chose not to re-sign him immediately at the end of that loan spell probably tells you everything you need to know about how it wasn't as good as it had been in the past. So following his loan spell at Middlesbrough, again embarks on a couple more loan spells, joins Vasco da Gama back in Brazil on loan and plays there alongside, um, you know, namesake Janinho Panambacano, latterly of Leon. for those of you who know your Janinhos, the, the, the Janinho that scored all those outrageous free kicks. And there's one particular performance which probably worth discussing scores a hat-trick against Botafogo in a 7-0 win and this was one of his real standout um, performances of that era as he's struggling to find you know fitness and form and and, and minutes right I mean he gets three goals and three assists and I was watching them back and they're not spectacular goals any of them but just the fact that he contributed that many times in one match a lot of people think it was his greatest ever game and I think by this point, he's starting to recover his form a little bit. It's not, you know, that Middlesbrough loan spell comes straight after. You know, he's had that, that leg break at Atletico. By the time he's back in Brazil, he seems to be becoming a better player. And that's what gets him called up to the 2002 World Cup squad. Well, absolutely. The World Cup squad is what we're going to come on to. He missed out in 98. He's, you know, fought hard to be included in the 2002 side, Luis Felipe Scolari's side. They obviously went on to win the World Cup. How involved was he? What was his role in that team? It was obviously well remembered for the Ronaldos, Ronaldinho, Rivaldo, even a young Kaká. But where did uh, Janinho sit in, in that team? It's hard to work out if it was a good or a bad World Cup for him, I think. I mean, obviously it was ultimately good because Brazil won. And going into it, he was always expected to be more of a fringe player. But what happened was that Emerson, not the Emerson who played for Middlesbrough, a different one, he'd um, got an injury just before the tournament. And that meant that they used Janinho in a more kind of defensive midfield role for the for the group games, which was fantastic for him because he got to play a bigger part than he would have expected to at that stage. But it meant that he didn't really play so well because it wasn't his natural position. And he actually dropped out of the team after the group stages and didn't come back into it until coming on as a late substitute in the World Cup final. So 
on the one hand, yeah, he got to play in a World Cup final. He got to play more minutes than he thought he would. And he came away a World Cup winner. But also, there's that sense that he didn't show his best, perhaps, in the tournament. Yeah, quite a hard one to balance off, isn't it? Bittersweet, not perhaps giving your best, but still ending up with a World Cup. It's not bad for a summer's work. Well, that's the end of part three. And we'll be back very shortly to look on part three of Janino's borough spell and his legacy at the Riverside Stadium. Stick with us. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us here on You, Me and Today. We're discussing the brilliant Janino Paulista, best remembered, of course, as a Middlesbrough player. And in the summer of 2002, now a World Cup winner with the Selechal, he returns to England in a £6 million deal from Atletico Madrid, less than half what they paid for him at the back end of the 90s. What sort of player were Middlesbrough getting at this point? It's obviously a good few years down the line, as, as we've spoken about in depth. He had some serious issues, broken leg and kind of recovery from that. So how has he differed in the the time away from England? I think that being part of that 2002 World Cup winning side has has raised his stock a little bit and he's got back to fitness. So he's definitely a better player than he was during the the second spell, the loan spell. £6 million, that's that's a reasonable sum still for Middlesbrough to part with to bring him in. So it shows you that yeah, he was still considered to be a good player. I don't think he was the player that he was during his initial spell with the club, but at the same time, he was a he was a very competent Premier League midfielder. And I think most middle Middlesbrough fans were probably just happy to have someone who could still do you know the the great moments, the great little bits of magic to have someone like that come back to the club even though they knew they perhaps weren't getting the same player they had originally. Yeah, you can well imagine that being a kind of crowd-pleasing move even at a club as sensible as Middlesbrough and with a, a chairman as astute as Steve Gibson. Talk to us about the borough side of that time. It's, you know, the rest of the Premier League's more than caught up now in terms of recruiting from abroad and not treating foreign leagues with such suspicion. What's their kind of standing at this stage? It was Steve McLaren was manager, right? Yeah, Steve McLaren's doing doing a good job there. They're a pretty solid mid-table Premier League team. They're still bringing in the international stars. You know, I mean, they had um, that year when he arrived, they had Jeremy, the former Real Madrid, Cameroon, Chelsea player, and Alan Boxic as well, another sort of fantastic name when you think of the the great strikers Middlesbrough have had I think Ravinelli and Boxic are the two that that really spring to mind um, and then of course later on Mangetta and Zenden joined the following season so in a way the profile of Middlesbrough was very similar to what it was during Janino's first spell that it, it had these star names I think the difference was that so many clubs around the country by this point had also brought in a number of star foreigners to complement their British players. Yes, absolutely. I'd forgotten actually about Bolo Zenzin and Alan Boxic. So yes, sort of, you know, further down the line, but still very much committed to finding value and, and turning up gems from abroad. Obviously, albeit the Zenden had had a far, well, both of them had had fine careers, hadn't they, up until um, that point. So picking the story back up, he spends another two seasons at the Riverside with Middlesbrough. And in 2003-04, his real you know, crowning glory, I suppose, as a Borough player. They win the League Cup, the first and only honour in the Teesiders' history. It's obviously a big deal, beating Sam Allardyce's Bolton Wanderers in the final at the Millennium Stadium, I think I'm right in saying, because Wembley was being rebuilt at that point. How important to his legacy, and, and even as a World Cup winner, is the fact that 
he won that trophy with Middlesbrough and, you know, ended a long drought for what is quite a proud and historic club as well. Well, he loved Middlesbrough. I think that's quite obvious. And he actually said that the World Cup and the League Cup trophy with Middlesbrough were on par with each other for him, which shows you just just how much he cared about, you know, about Barra. And he, um, I, I always think it would have been a real shame if he'd purely been associated with a team that had gone down and not actually had achieved anything. And the, the parallel I think of is Georgie King Cladsey at Manchester City, where unbelievable player, very similar kind of profile in the sense that he was a real flair player. But you always think of him as being the positive in a pretty terrible Manchester City team. And I think this kind of righted the wrong of that, even though this wasn't Janino at his best, this wasn't him driving the team like the way he did earlier on in his career. It gave him that that trophy for for the fans to attach to his name, I suppose, and remember the two things together. How did that third spell go as a whole for him? If we, you know, look at his performances and his impact on the side around the the League Cup win, it doesn't start off so well because he gets a cruciate ligament injury immediately upon signing, and that sees him miss an awful lot of his first year there. But certainly by the second year, the, the year they win the League Cup, he's formed a really good relationship with the other attacking players there. When you look at his goals per game ratio, he played 48 games in all competitions, scored 12 goals. And it's actually a better ratio than it was in his first spell. So whatever you say about the rest of his game, in terms of pure goal scoring, he was still still very much on it at this point of his career. So at the end of the 2003-04 season, his contract's up and he leaves... Middlesbrough for Celtic. How how is he remembered by Borough fans, and and where does he sort of stand in the all time kind of list of of Middlesbrough greats at this point? Do you think? I don't think he could be remembered any better. In all honesty, I don't think anyone harbors a grudge for him leaving to go to Atletico Madrid at the time he left because everyone knew that he wanted to be part of the Brazil team and, and that didn't seem unreasonable. And you could tell he didn't really want to go either. He only did because because he wanted that international call-up. Even when he came back a slightly lesser player, I think that most middle, Middlesbrough fans would probably accept that if he'd gone on to have the absolutely stellar career that you might have thought he would have done, he probably wouldn't have come back to Middlesbrough, so certainly not two more times. And they did, I think it was the PFA did a, a sort of poll of fans and he was voted their greatest ever player in that, which when you think about it, who else would you pick? If you had to just pull a name out of thin air, who's the best Middlesbrough player? I think Janino is the name that's on almost every football fan's lips. So yeah, his legacy is is as good as it could be at Middlesbrough, really. I just want to make a quick correction. I said that they beat Bolton, but Middlesbrough, this is 2-0 at the Millennium Stadium. It was 2-1, of course. Uh, hopefully you'll forgive me that slip. Looking back on his kind of borough legacy, then Janino, he's, as you say, rightly say, kind of held in the highest regard possible, highest esteem possible. Is there a sense that he never quite lived up to that first spell, but in spite of that, probably didn't matter, given the impact he did make, that, you know, borough fans always kind of overlooked the, the, the truth of the matter a little bit, perhaps. I think that's probably fair. But at the same time, I think that that's probably underselling slightly the impact he still did have later on his, in his career. You know, football fans absolutely love much lesser players than Janino, who've got a bit of flair, a bit of creativity, you know, score great long-range goals. And 
yeah, he might not have been the greatest player in the world by by the latter stages, but I think I think he does still live up to their adulation, even if perhaps in a global sense he doesn't reach the the levels that would have been it would have been expected of him at one point. No, that's a fair comment. So in total, he makes just over 120 appearances for Middlesbrough across three spells, which is obviously you see players come and go who who make far more appearances than that and maybe aren't as well remembered. Quite what is it about him? Obviously, the League Cup win is a big factor, but what is it about him that made him such an icon? And, you know, maybe someone who actually fits into that idea of a, a cult hero, you know, rather than an out-and-out, the best player that ever pulled on the shirt. I mean, he might also fit that, you know, description, but in my mind, I see him as quite a, a cult hero. Maybe that's from my perspective as a fan of Premier League football over the last 20-odd years. But he, I don't know, there's just something very cult about him to pick at that thread for me I think there's so many factors to why he's so loved at Middlesbrough and I think he's loved by a lot of football fans of that era as well part of it is that he seemed like a really pleasant bloke off the pitch he always had a had a nice smile when he played but also I think it's just that he was very much a man of his time you know we're inundated with flair players now in the Premier League but that moment he arrived in England there wasn't anyone like him and so he just drew so much attention for having that level of skill that wasn't prevalent in the English top flight. And when you look back on a lot of those players at the time, the real kind of mavericks, we mentioned King Cladsey, Matt Letizier at Southampton, Dalian Atkinson, Tony Yaboa, all these guys who were sort of, they had a magic ingredient that we were really lacking in England. And Janino was the, the perfect example of that and that's why he's just loved by everyone. I think that's a very nice way to finish up that section of his career. He played on for quite a while after that, went back to Brazil, but first the next move was Celtic, which didn't really work out and it was kind of a shame for him because it was an opportunity to go and, and win some real you know, silverware in this, uh, on these aisles as well. Any idea what kind of went wrong for him there? He only played sort of, I think, fewer than 20 games. He always seemed like a a strange fit with Celtic. It was Martin O'Neill managing them at the time and O'Neill plays quite a structured style of football. Janino obviously is not the kind of player to fit into that structure. You need to give him quite a lot of freedom. I, th- I believe he even raised the question at one point as to why Celtic bothered signing him because it just <laughs> seemed like such an odd fit. And and really his, his career just it drifts from that point. I mean, he goes back to back to Brazil, plays for Flamengo again as a brief spell in Australia with Sydney. But that League Cup final is probably like the last great moment in his career, I would say. In some ways, it's kind of a shame that he didn't get to take part in the UEFA Cup run the following season when they you know reached the final, which you could say is potentially the best moment of Middlesbrough's entire history. So... It would have been nice for him to still be at the club, even if he'd stayed as a as a bit part player for that year, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, help pave the way for them to even reach Europe and go on to achieve everything they did on that miraculous run under Steve McLaren. So it would have been quite fitting, quite poetic if it had been able to be involved in some way. Um, to round it off, then you talked, you know, a lot about the goals and some of the, you know, the free kick for Brazil against England. What have you? Is there a favourite Janinho moment or favourite Janinho goal that you can recall above all others that you know really symbolizes the man and and you know the the kind of player he was I'm putting you on the spot I've given you a little bit of time by filling there but I'm gonna pass it over to you what was your favorite 
Janino goal or moment from his career? I think this probably rounds things off quite nicely. If I was going to pick out a favourite moment from Janino's career, it's actually after he retired, he came out of retirement again a couple of years later for his first club, Ituano, where he was the club president and they were in relegation trouble. He played in the final match of the season and he scored the goal that kept them up and avoided relegation. And I just think that for a player who's built his whole career on being a a cult hero, certainly at Middlesbrough, to do something that was worthy of the ultimate cult hero status seemed like a really fitting way to bow out for Janino. That's incredible. I wasn't aware of that. So that's a really nice way to finish, as you say. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us on this episode of You Me And. I'm sure we'll have you back on again in the future. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you check out our back catalogue. We've already... Uh, eulogised about the great Ronaldo, Zinedine Zidane and Gianfranco Zola and we'll be bringing out episodes on a weekly basis going forward discussing plenty of other icons of 90s football. There are, of course, so many. So if you've got a favourite that you want to hear us go in-depth on, then do tweet us or send us a message on Instagram or Facebook and we will endeavour to get to them all eventually. As I say, there are so many and such a rich tapestry to work our way through that we'll uh, inevitably cover them all but it will take some time thank you for listening and if you have enjoyed the show make sure to download the podcast make sure to subscribe to the podcast it's available on soundcloud spotify and a number of other podcast platforms we're gradually adding them to more platforms so bear with us on that front and finally i'd ask that you could follow football whispers at fb underscore whispers on twitter Instagram is at FB Whispers. Thanks again for your time and we will be back next week to dissect another icon of 90s football. Take care. (laughs) 